0: The following audio is from LCBC Church. To learn more about LCBC, visit lcbchurch.com. Well, for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this is a special time of year because we actually take time to remember when Jesus did the work for us. Jesus wanted us to remember when he did the work for us. So he actually gave special instructions, very specific instructions on how to remember what he did for us. So let me ask you to grab a Bible. And if you would, open it up to the book of 1 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some there in the seats around you. I'll tell you the page number in those Bibles. It's page 877. So you can grab those across all of our locations and uh, on your phone, however you choose to do it. But would love to have you open up and see these instructions from Jesus himself. Actually going to read from the account of a man named Paul who goes back, reviews the instructions of Jesus the night before Jesus died and Jesus was having a meal with his closest friends, his followers, they were called his disciples and at some point during the meal, Jesus actually grabs a piece of bread and he makes this comment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 23, middle of verse 23. Paul says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Jesus was actually saying to his close group of friends and followers, I'm about to die for you. And he actually gives symbols so that for all who are following him then, even all of us who are following him today, can remember the reason why Jesus died. And it's the essence of all of Christianity and what Christianity is all about. And so he breaks it down into two very simple symbols. He said, first of all, take bread. He said, when you take the bread, it just represents my body, my body that unselfishly will be given on the cross for the benefit of others. It wasn't for his benefit, it wasn't his cause, it was for the benefit of others. So he said, take bread, remember my body. Then he took a cup and he said, when you drink the wine, it represents my blood. And he said, blood that's shed and it's through my shedding of my blood that there is the possibility of forgiveness of sins. And so he said, take bread, take, take drink, eat and drink and remember my body, remember my blood. So for 2,000 years since the death of Jesus, followers of Jesus have been eating and drinking and remembering what he's done for us. For 2,000 years, theologians, and theologians are people that spend their whole life studying God closely, and for 2,000 years, theologians have been trying to figure out a way, how do we describe what Jesus is about to do? How do we describe what Jesus is saying here? And they came up with two words, two words to describe what Jesus did on the cross. The words are substitutionary atonement. And when you see those two words, you might roll your eyes and go, oh man, I never use those kind of words. I don't want to even think about using those kind of words. But I would just say, don't be intimidated by those two words because you actually know what they mean. And let me kind of describe them to you this way. Let's look at the second word first, the word atonement. And let me describe atonement to you by asking you a question. How many of you, and I need a show of hands across all of our locations, how many of you have actually ever had a speeding ticket in your life? Speeding tickets in your life. So I don't know what it's like on the other campuses, but Mannheim is a rough crowd. Lots and lots of speeding tickets at Mannheim. And I will tell you, I have had a few... You in my lifetime. On one particular weekend when I was at college, um, I actually received three speeding tickets in one weekend. Um, now, I had good cause, um, and you're actually believing me. The police officer didn't believe me when I tried to tell him my cause, and, and I really probably didn't have a cause. I was driving from Lubbock back to Dallas. Lubbock is where Texas Tech is, which shout out to Lubbock and Texas Tech in the Lead 8 this weekend, but Texas Tech is where I went to school. So I was driving the 350 miles from Lubbock to Dallas, and um, two speeding tickets on the way home to Dallas and then I reformed and only got one on the way back and so needless to say that was not a good weekend for me after you receive a speeding ticket especially if you happen to receive a speeding ticket out of state which I have done that as well be careful in New Mexico but after you receive a speeding ticket then what they actually do is they drag you into court at that moment and they say you have to atone for your wrongdoing. You actually have to pay for breaking the law. You make a payment to satisfy the demands of the court system. And so you pay $75, you pay 100, you pay 150, whatever it may be, you pay the cashier. Once you have paid the cashier, then it's done. You've atoned for the crime. The punishment has been taken care of and you can walk out, it's over with, it's all done. Atonement is the idea that a payment has been made that satisfies the justice system. A payment is made that satisfies the justice system. Now let's look at the first word. You know what a substitute is. When you were in middle school, if your regular teacher happened to be sick, then the school would send in another teacher, a replacement for your regular teacher. They were called a substitute teacher that was standing in for your regular teacher. Odds are, probably, some of us need to atone for how we treated those substitute teachers when we were in middle school. But i All it means, a substitute is somebody that takes the place for someone else. Takes the place for someone else. So substitutionary atonement is somebody steps in, takes the place, makes the payment in order to satisfy the justice system. You put those two words together, and this is what all of Christianity has boiled down into these two words. And when you understand these two words... And all of a sudden, you understand what Christianity is, and you understand why Christianity is different than any other faith system, any other religion. Because in every other faith system, it's not substitutionary atonement. In every other faith system, it's self atonement. Where you break the rules, you have to pay the price. You break the rules, you pay. In other religions, sometimes you pay by a obeying additional sets of rules but you never quite know if you've obeyed enough. Other religions you have to jump through rituals or hoops or drills. Other religions you have to make a pilgrimage and if you don't make the pilgrimage in your lifetime you pay for that forever. Others you have to light candles or give money or do penance but you never know if you've quite done enough but that's the self-atoning system. You break the rules you make the payment. Christianity is different from all other world religions. Because God has actually arranged for somebody to step in and atone for us when we break his rules. And that's what's unique to Christianity. And a lot of people have misguided ideas about what Christianity is. And if you ask them, tell me about Christianity, what is it, what does it mean? Then they'll say, well, you know what? It really, it's all about trying to do better. It's trying to fly a little bit straighter. It's trying to clean up your act. And if you do, then everything will probably be all right. Can I just tell you Christianity has nothing to do with trying to clean up your act. If that's your thought of it, then you're wrong about it. Instead, it's all about getting on the right side of the atonement plan. And and so when Jesus himself was on the earth, he was described as the Lamb of God. I'm the Lamb of God who will die for the sins of the world. I will step in, be the substitute to atone in order to satisfy the justice system. In other words, Jesus was saying, I came to be the substitutionary atonement. Peter actually described it this way. He said, Christ, Jesus, suffered for our sins once and for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. In other words, Jesus stepped in as the substitute to pay the price for our sins, the atonement for our sins, substitutionary atonement. Another man named Paul, he actually said it this way. He said, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. When you and I, because of all the messes, all the junk, all the issues in our life, all the wrongdoings in our life, we couldn't do anything to take care of them ourselves, at the right time, Jesus stepped in to be our substitute. He goes on. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. He's just stating the facts. Very few people will die for anybody but maybe you can find somebody that'll be willing to die for an upright person, somebody that really, really means a lot to you. Likely not, but this is what Jesus did. Jesus, God, showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Jesus said, okay, I'm gonna step in. I will be the substitute for you, and I will atone for your wrongdoings and satisfy the justice system. And so, Jesus is eating dinner the night before his death. And what now we oftentimes we hear it referred to as the Last Supper. And Jesus gathers his twelve disciples, his twelve closest friends, around him for dinner. And as they're sitting around eating at the table with Jesus, part of the way through dinner, Jesus picks up a loaf of bread and he rips it apart. And as they watch him, he says to them, "This is like my body. In the not too distant future, it's going to be ripped open for you." And then later in the meal, he takes a cup and he holds the cup of wine up and he says, "This cup represents my blood, which is going to be poured out for you in order to." atone for the sins of the world. And just mere hours later, Jesus is actually hanging on a cross. And as he's hanging on the cross, he is substitutionary atoning. He's satisfying the demands of the justice system for all who are willing to accept him as a substitute. And so he's paying the price for everyone's sin. And right at the end, as he's about to take his last breath, He says two words, three words, actually. He says three words, and do you know what the words are? Do you remember what he says? He's He's about to expire. He says, it is finished. It's finished. And what he's saying is the ultimate act of substitutionary atonement is complete. The idea of it is finished is actually it's paid in full, completely paid. The bill is done. You can walk out. You're done. You're free. It's totally taken care of. You have been atoned Four, and probably three of the most beautiful words in any language in a number of different ways. Paid in full. So a few weeks back, Ruth and I had the privilege, the opportunity, we were invited to attend the Billy Graham Funeral. And it really was quite the event. It wasn't really a somber event like you might think for a funeral. It almost felt more like a celebration of a life well-lived. And everywhere you would turn, you would see what I would call a Christian celebrity. And so as we go find seats, and it was just kind of general admission, you come and you sit in and sit down and So around us are Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Beth Moore, and her husband, and then Ravi Zacharias and his wife are all just sitting right around us in the seats. Kathy Lee Gifford comes and sits in the seats in front of us. Ruth was sitting on my right. On my left was a lady named Linda Tate. Linda's in the Gaither Vocal Band. She also happens to be the older sister of Michael Tate and Michael Tate of Newsboys DC Talk. And so the whole time she's showing me pictures of her brother, Michael. And after the service, when it's all done, then you had to go out and kind of line and get on buses that take you back to your cars. And so standing in line right over here is Rick Warren and then Max Lucado and his wife and Lee Strobel and his wife and presidents and vice presidents and governors and all these celebrities. And then there's me and Ruth kind of smiling in the crowd and just kind of awestruck as we're looking at everybody. And so the service actually took place in a tent outside and there were no sides on the tent. It was cold that day and the wind was blowing hard and so it was cold. And they asked everybody to come a couple of hours early just so everything is set before it begins. So everybody's trying to find a place to get warm. And the only place that had heaters where you could get warm were in these portable bathrooms that they had brought in. Um, and so I spent as much time as the bath- in the bathroom as I possibly could before it started. So one time while I'm in the bathroom. So I don't know how else to describe this to you, so I'm just going to tell you what happened. And if you're offended, then so be it. But I'm in the bathroom and I'm standing at the urinal, okay? And and there's this unwritten rule for men, you don't look to the side, you don't talk to anybody, you just look straight ahead, okay? So I was doing that and I'm standing there and all of a sudden I realized Ricky Skaggs is standing to my left and Jim Baker is standing to my right and I mean, it was just wild, it was that way the whole time. Now, I did not look and say anything, I didn't talk to them, (laughs) Um, but it was just kind of this wild thing. The whole event, was just kind of just this crazy celebration of Billy Graham's life and it was a life worth celebrating. He spent 60 years preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. It's estimated that 2.2 billion people have actually heard Billy Graham speak at one time or another, either live or through technology, however it was. He said no when he had offers to get involved in politics. He had said no when he had offers to get involved in Hollywood, lived a humble, just modest life, One of the things I appreciate about him is he was a bridge builder, not a wall builder. So he was constantly building bridges with others. When it came to the Civil Rights Movement back in the 1950s and 60s, at that time it was common in large arenas to have ropes, and the blacks had to sit on one side, the whites sat on the other. Billy went into the arenas and said, I will not speak here unless you take down the ropes. And so they eventually did, and they took down the ropes. And he just lived quite a life. But being at that particular service reminded me of a story that I've told you before, but it just beautifully illustrates this whole idea of substitutionary atonement. <clears throat> the story is actually about a friend of mine who was on an airplane. And while he's on the airplane, he's sitting next to a business guy. And after this business guy has a couple of drinks after they take off, then he becomes fairly talkative. And so they talked about all kinds of things. They started out talking about sports. Then it went to politics. Then it went to religion. And so my friend, whose name happens to be Bill, asked this guy, he said, are you religious? And the guy responded by saying, well, as a kid I was, but then I kind of dumped it when I got into college. I got married, now I have two kids. And so he said, recently, I've decided that my wife and my kids need religion. So he found them a church for his wife for his kids to attend, and he got them all plugged in into this church. And so Bill said, oh, so do you go? And he said, oh, no, 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 I don't go. But I'm really glad my wife and my kids are at church because, you know, the world is just kind of going nuts. And so Bill asked him, well, do you believe in God? And he said, well, yeah, I think everybody believes that there's God of some sort. And so Bill said, well, do you believe in an afterlife? The guy thought for a moment and he said, you know, there's so much good in the world that needs to be recognized and there's so much evil in the world that needs to be dealt with. So yeah, I think there's some kind of afterlife. And so Bill said, well, do you think there's one place in the afterlife that's more preferred over the other? One place is better, more preferred over the other. And, and then Bill said, and do you have a sense of where you will spend your afterlife, the more or the less preferred place? And by now, Bill said this guy was getting a little bit exasperated. So he said, listen, there's a lot of crooks in, this business, in the business world. He said, I run my business straight. He said, there are a lot of people that fool around on their spouses. He said, I don't. I'm good friend to my friends and I help the poor every once in a while when my church needs money. Then I give them a shot at the end of the year. He said, bottom line, he said, I think I'm a little bit above average. So if God grades on a curve, he said, I think I'm a decent human being. I think I'm gonna be just fine. So they both paused for a moment and then he turned and said to Bill, do you have any insights on this? And so Bill said, well, actually I do. So there in the airplane, he grabbed a dinner napkin, he took out a pen and he began drawing a ladder, a ladder that looked kind of like this. And this guy was banking his eternity on being a little bit above average. And Bill said, this is a ladder, God is at the top. He said, you would think God would be at the top, wouldn't you, I mean, God is perfect and all, and the guy said, oh yeah, that would definitely be where God is. So God's at the top. He said, at the bottom of the ladder, you can't even see their names, they are so low, but it's, it's just the awful, awful people of the world. And so it's the, it's the Saddam Husseins, it's the Adolf Hitlers, it's the Jeffrey Dahmers of the world. And he said, they're at the very, very bottom of the ladder. And, and so Bill said, now you said, You see yourself a little above average. So on this ladder, if this is a morality ladder, where would you rate yourself? Where would you put yourself? And so Bill handed him a pen. He said, I just want you to put an initial where you'd see yourself on this ladder. And so before the guy could actually do that, Bill said, but real quick, he said, let me just ask you a question. He said, who do you think is the most moral, wonderful, godly person alive at this time? And right away, the guy said, oh, that's Mother Teresa. Without a doubt, at that time, she was still alive. And Bill said, Mother Teresa, that's a good choice. That's an excellent choice. But he said, can I tell you, I've read some of her writings, and what surprises me is how often she admits in her writings about doing things that would be displeasing to God. And this guy said, you've got to be kidding me. And Bill said, no. He said, as a matter of fact, she said, at times she gets snippy with some of the other nuns, and so she has to go back and apologize. When she was younger, she wrote some very fiery letters to her supervisors, and later she had to go back and apologize. She even admitted to having wayward thoughts in her head. And so Bill said, I don't know for sure, But if Mother Teresa were sitting here and you said, where would you put yourself? He said, I think Mother Teresa would probably put herself kind of right in this range here. And so the guy kind of looked and was a little bit wide-eyed. And and Bill said, okay, let's kind of make it a little closer to home now. And, And so he said, who in the United States... Who in the United States do you respect? Somebody that you'd say is very, very moral. And and right away the guy said, Billy Graham. And that was before Billy had passed. And so Bill said, that would be another great choice. So Bill rattled off some of the accomplishments of Billy Graham in his life. and, And then Bill said, but Billy has actually admitted that he's made a lot of mistakes in his life that hurt other people, that hurt his ministry. He said, I don't know for sure, but I think if Billy was here and he was gonna put his mark on this ladder, I think Billy would put himself someplace just below Mother Teresa is I think where he would put himself. And Bill said, this guy's eyes continued to get a little bit bigger. And so then Bill said, look, you don't know me and you're probably wishing you had not ever met me at this point. But he said, look, I'm actually a pastor, and I try to help people find God. And when they find God, I try to teach them to love others, and I try to teach them to respect others, and I try to teach them how to care for the poor. But he said, you know what? I've been doing that for decades, but I'm also a sinful man. And so if you ask me where I would put my mark on this ladder, he said, I would definitely be down here below Mother Teresa and Billy. And so... Bill said, by now the guy's eyes are just really, really wide. And so then Bill turns to him and says, okay, now, anywhere you want on this ladder, (laughs) where would you put your initials? Where do you see yourself on this ladder? And the guy thought for a moment, and and then he actually put a mark down here underneath Bill's name. And then they kind of were silent. For a few moments, maybe even an awkward moment of silence, and finally the guy looked at the ladder and he looked at Bill and He said, I'm in big trouble, aren't I? Now, actually, he didn't use those exact words. I've already talked about urinals. I can't use the words that this guy spoke when he talked about where he was on the ladder, but in essence, paraphrased, he said, I'm in big trouble, aren't I? And Bill said, yeah. You know what? Here's the deal. He said, the problem is there's a gap between us and God. And Mother Teresa knew that there was a gap. Billy Graham knew there was a gap. I know there's a gap. Maybe till this point, you didn't understand that there was a gap between you and God. And so the guy said to Bill, what has everybody done to take care of the gap? And so Bill began to talk about the fact that this gap is caused by our wrongdoings. And as he talked about it, he went on and he said, you know what? There's different ways to take care of it. You can self-atone. You can substitutionarily atone what we talked about just a moment ago. And and he said, what they decided is, even if they lived 100 years, they're never going to be able to get to that point of perfection with God. It's not going to happen. So the self-atoning isn't going to work. He said, they decided they're going to trust Jesus as a substitutionary atonement. And again, he explained what that concept meant to them. And when you put your trust in Jesus, he said it closes that gap between you and God because your sins are forgiven. And when you put your trust in Jesus, when, Jesus, when God the Father looks at you, he looks at you and sees you as blameless, he sees you as right. And um, so Bill said at the end of the conversation, he could see this guy was really thinking hard But he really wasn't ready to make any kind of decision about this. It all seemed very new to him. So Bill said, look, don't lose the napkin because the napkin will remind you that there's a gap between you and God, but it'll also show you how to take care of that gap with Jesus. And so let's turn this to you and me and let's turn the clocks ahead in time for you and me. Do you understand that a day is coming when you will have to give an account of your life before God, your entire life and most of us think that what will happen is we're going to open up this book and you're gonna, God's going to find your name and he's going to crunch some numbers, the good and the bad, and then he's going to hit equal. And as long as your good actions outweigh your bad actions, then, then somehow you're going to be okay and you'll spend your afterlife with God. But if your bad actions outweigh the good, then you're in trouble for the afterlife. But can I just tell you that is not what is going to happen. It's not the way it's going to work. On your final day, When you stand before God, the devil will be standing on one side of you, and he's actually there to tell God all of your wrongdoings, all of your sins. So he begins to tell all of your sins, and maybe it takes 40, 50, 60 years for him to go through all of the things that you've done wrong in your lifetime. And when he finishes telling all your sins, the question is not going to be, how could you have been such an awful person? The question is not going to be, how could you have sinned so often? The question is not going to be, how could you have sinned so spectacularly? Instead, the question is going to be, who is going to atone for your wrongdoings? How are you going to make payment and atone to satisfy the justice system? Somebody has to satisfy the demands of the justice system. And so who is going to atone for your wrongdoing? And there's two options that we can choose from the first option you could choose is the self-atoning option where you decide you're going to live separate from god throughout your life and you can choose to atone for your own sins in a place of separation and isolation from god forever for eternity you could make this choice to self Atone. But if you make this choice, you need to know that Jesus himself spoke about that, and he said the moment you enter the afterlife, after choosing to self-atone, he actually uses a word to describe your condition. It's a word we don't often use or an expression we don't often use anymore, but he talks about you're going to enter and you will experience immediately the gnashing of teeth where you're just grinding your teeth, and it's this idea of being utterly frustrated and realizing you made a huge mistake and you're going to live full of regret forever. Jesus says that's what it'll be for you if you decide to self-atone, which is why God has gone to such great lengths to try to convince you and me to take the other plan. So you can choose to self-atone or we can choose the substitutionary atonement plan. It's our choice, it's our call, but it's one or the other. One time Jesus was actually talking. He said, "Look." He said, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. And what he goes on and kind of implies in this is Jesus is standing at the door of your life and he's knocking patiently and he's saying, do not self-atone. It's a bad plan. You'll regret it forever. I paid the price for your sin. I am the substitutionary atoner, he's saying, and I'm knocking at your door, so would you open the door? And if you open the door, we can talk about substitutionary atonement because I paid the price, a price that will give you benefits in this life and on into the next. And so the day that you have to give an account for your life before God, the devil is standing on one side with a list of all of your wrongdoings and something has to be done about all of those wrongdoings. But here's the thing. It's not just the devil on one side. Jesus is on the other side. And if you've chosen the substitutionary atonement plan, then Jesus actually speaks up. And as soon as the devil begins to rattle off your wrongdoings, Jesus picks up and says, oh, wait a minute, Uh, uh, wait a minute. I've actually paid for all of those things. He just interrupts, I've already paid for all these things. I am his substitutionary atonement. I am her substitutionary atonement. And they've been paid in full. Everything that you want to talk about, done. It's paid for. All of it taken care of. And, and because Jesus is your substitutionary atonement, God the Father looks at you, and he sees you as blameless, and he sees you as right, and he says, welcome home. Come on in. Welcome home. So the question I have for all of us is, where would you put yourself on the morality ladder? And wherever you put yourself, there's still going to be a gap, a gap between you and God. And so the question is, what are you going to do about the gap? And are you going to choose the self-atoning method to take care of it? And you can, it's your choice, but it will go on for eternity, gnashing of teeth. Or you can choose the substitutionary atonement plan that Jesus is offering, and what plan are you going to follow? in order to take care of the gap between you and God. And if you decide that you want to take Jesus up on his substitutionary atonement plan, then it takes this. It takes, first of all, freely acknowledging I haven't lived up to the perfect moral standards of God. Freely acknowledging that, no, I'm not up there with him. I am down here somewhere. As you acknowledge that, it also takes understanding that my wrongdoings have to be atoned for. There is a justice system and I have to make atonement for that for my wrongdoings. And so the gap that's there, something needs to be done with it. And so I have a choice and I'm gonna reject the self-atonement plan. Why would I? Because I can't even. Why would I try to self-atone when it's gonna go on into the afterlife for eternity? Why would I choose that? Instead, I'm gonna humbly ask Jesus And his atoning work to be applied to all of my wrongdoings i'm going to choose the substitutionary atonement plan and um, when we do god finds us and he says look um, okay welcome home welcome home now when you came in today you should have been handed a card that looks like this let me ask you to pull out that card Uh, All of you pull out a card. If you don't have one, then uh, I think there's some folks that will get one for you. But I want all of you to have this card in your hand. This card actually has the four statements that I just read to you a moment ago. Number one, it says, I freely acknowledge that I have not lived up to the perfect moral standards of God. What I would love for you to do is take this card, and this is for you. It's not for anybody else. If you need a card, just wave and somebody will get one to you. But this is for you um, because I just want you to understand this substitutionary atonement plan. And so grab a pen. There are also pens around you in the seats there. And so check off. Yeah, I acknowledge I'm not up there with God. I'm down here somewhere. Second statement, I understand that my wrongdoings must be atoned for in order to satisfy the justice system and so yeah I understand there's a gap something needs to be done with the gap if you'd say yeah then check that one off as well third statement I hereby soundly reject the self-atonement plan why would I choose to try to self-atone when it's going to cost me on into eternity for all of eternity and so I reject that plan if that's true check that box and the fourth box I humbly ask the Christ atoning work the substitutionary atoning work of Jesus be applied to all of my wrongdoings. And if you check all four of those boxes, then God says, Welcome home. Welcome home. And so then I would ask you to sign the card if you check all four of them. Put today's date on it. This is for you to just kind of remember, this is what Jesus has done for me. I know that I have accepted Jesus's work on the cross for me. I know that I've accepted the substitutionary atonement plan. This isn't self-atoning. It's just for something for you to keep and for you to remember. Hang on to it because I'm gonna ask you to do something with it in a moment. I also say, if maybe for the very first time you've checked all four of these boxes and you never fully understood it before, you'd say, okay, I'm ready to take that. That from jesus his substitutionary atonement plan then then circle your name just as a way of remembering and circle the date that's the date that i made that decision others of you may say you know what i made that decision a year ago i made it five years ago i made it 50 years ago then write the date at the top of your card when you made that decision because this is a real helpful reminder when you find yourself saying oh man uh, i messed up again and you go oh no no, no wait a minute um, i accepted the substitutionary atonement plan i'm not trying to self-atone And Jesus has covered that for me. So hang on to your card, because in a few moments I'm going to ask you to do something with it. But at the same time, we're going to take a moment to follow the instructions of Jesus and take part in that ancient tradition that's been practiced for 2,000 years now. We're going to eat bread. We're going to drink juice together to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. Substitutionary atonement. And, And please know there's nothing really special about the bread, the juice. They're just that. But they really help us remember the most significant event in all of human history. And God actually says before we eat, before we drink, we ought to take a moment just to kind of come clean before him. God says we get all this junk in our hearts. And so coming clean before God is just confessing and saying, oh, God, I'm sorry. I've been messing up here. Um, And you know where you've been messing up. Maybe it's actions, maybe it's the way you treat other people, maybe it's just thoughts in your head. You know what it is, I don't need to tell you. Whatever it is, is taking a moment saying, okay, God, I just need to say, ah, oh, I am so sorry. Did it again, thought that again, went down that road again. I am so sorry, God. And God says, take a moment, come clean before him. So I'm gonna pray, and praying's talking to God. I'm gonna invite you to pray. You talk to God as well. And just come clean and say, okay, God, here's where I've been messing up. And maybe, maybe for you, you also say, God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus taking care of all of my wrongdoings, all of those times that I mess up. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll eat, and then we'll drink, and we'll remember what Jesus has done for us. Heavenly Father, how amazing it is to think that in spite of all of our messes, in spite of all of our wrongdoing, in spite of all the times that we mess up, you offer to us a different plan than the self-atoning plan. You actually sent Jesus into the world to be our substitutionary atonement. So step into our place, my place, our places where we ought to be the ones paying in order to satisfy the justice system. And yet Jesus did that for us. What an incredible gift and an amazing thought. So God, we're gonna eat, we're gonna drink to remember what Jesus has done for us. But first, we just wanna come clean before you. And we just need to say we're sorry. We just need to say, God, we're sorry for some of the thoughts that run through our heads again and again. We're sorry for some of the actions that we've taken, and we're sorry for the way that we treat people sometimes. And God, I'm sorry for thoughts that I have that are inappropriate towards you. I'm sorry for the way I treat people that may be hurtful and contrary to what you would want. I'm sorry for when I have actions in my life are contrary to your ways. God, I say thank you for Jesus that I don't have to self-atone, but instead I can just have real confidence in the substitutionary atonement of Jesus and that he paid it in full, done forever. So God, today we're gonna eat, we're gonna drink, we're gonna remember, and as we remember, we're gonna say thank you Thank you for this incredible gift that Jesus has given to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.